Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the seventh episode of the PO Forecast Extra. I'm your host, Freddie Webb, and yes, we've got a lot to talk about as the Blues try and get back on track after January, but have also been hit with a triple injury blow. Joining me are our usual guests who will analyse the January signings that have come in and some other bits. First of all, we've got an analyst who is getting way too big for us and is doing way too many Twitter spaces. It's uh, Mr. Jan Hancock. How are you? Is it bad that I was unmuting myself as you said too big for his boots before you even said my name? I don't think we're going to talk about that way, are you? That's a lot of my character. But yeah, I'm all right. I survived an 11-hour trip to Southampton today. So, you know, we're, we're all thriving. I was going to say, what, what are you going to Scumland for? Because uh, of university, because they've got a very good course that I'm very much enjoying. But, you know, if, if it was in Portsmouth, it would be perfect. But I've got to go to Southampton twice a week, which isn't ideal. You have to do what you have to do to get ahead, I suppose. Speaking of someone who who does what he wants to get ahead in life, it's uh, Mr. Geoff Taylor. How are you? Good evening. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I don't really know what you mean by does what I want. But the allegations. I'll take that. He, he does what he wants. He gets all his Python graphs out. He does what Always. he wants. No, I love, love a bit of Python. Make of that what you will. I've never used Python in my life. so Because he's a snake. So, so you guys probably think I'm an amateur analyst, but there we are. So for this episode of The Extra, we're going to go through... The players that have come in to Pompey in January in slightly more detail than in the previous pods. We're going to go over Miles Put Harris, Tom McIntyre, Callum Lang, and Owen Moxon. We're going to mention Matt Macy as well, but being a subkeeper, we're not going to go through him in as much detail. We're going to look at the past two months, of which Pompey fans called The Blip. Ooh, it's like a strange sci fi film from the 80s. But no, we'll go over The Blip, the small drop in form compared to Pompey's new results with uh, after the new signings have come in and figure out if it was really something we should have worried about as much. And then we will look at the injury crisis, some fresh injury news as of recording of February the 8th, and we'll look at if Pompey can stave that to achieve promotion. Now, let's look at our first January signing. I know we mentioned Matt Macy, but again, we're going to skip over it because he hasn't played yet, and overall... It's a very good signing because he's the best subkeeper that we have already. We know he's league on standard. And we know if he came in between the sticks, he'd be brilliant for Pompey anyway. I think Joff and Jack agree on this already without them needing to unmute themselves. They're both nodding. So we'll move on to our second January signing of Miles Pert Harris on loan from Brentford. Pompey needed a number 10 following the injury of Alex Robertson. And in his three matches, he's been very good, hasn't he? I know there's been no goals or assists yet, but he's looked very comfortable in possession, very technical. And according to Scout, he's had 0.28 expected goals in those three matches and 0.21 expected assists as well, which are a very small sample size is good. But he's also shown he can do a little bit of what Alex Robertson can do, drop deeper, get in the tackles, retain a bit of possession, regain possession and that type of thing. Jack, I'm going to start with... Miles Pitt-Harris's attacking work and creativity here. Does he fill in the void at 10, which Pompey had been missing since Alex Robertson's injury? Yeah, he, he offers something completely different to Alex, in my opinion. Alex Robertson's more of an eight or a double six, in my opinion, whereas, whereas Pitt-Harris is very much kind of your Tino Andrew type number 10. As we said, yeah, really physical, but also really technical. There's some lovely back heels against Northampton. He tries about three a game. I, I enjoyed watching him against Northampton. I enjoyed watching him against Oxford. I didn't watch the Port Vale game, but by all accounts, he did very well. There were some nice highlights there. There's been some small fluency issues of him and Alex Robertson and kind of how Miles Piet Harris, I believe it's pronounced, kind of interpret space. But I think that's something that will come with coaching and a better game understanding of the system and where the space will be for him to receive an attack. But yeah, no, he's been really impressive. Uh, his ball retention is pretty good from what I remember. Again, yeah, really physical, really technical. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a take that I told you before we are. Uh, before we start recording about him and Tino. So maybe we can get to that later, but I'll, uh, I'll let Joff, Joff uh, take over from there. Yeah, I really like him as a signing. He's looked suitable replacement for Robertson. Again, as Jack says, different player, different kind of player, but one that we need, a position that we need to strengthen in as well. We tried, we played Robertson as a 10, we played White as a 10, Andrew's been injured, so we really needed to feed that gap. And yeah, he's been great. Some of the kind of data and stats from this season, he's been really good defensively as well and he's you can tell he's kind of worked hard at that his tackles duels aerial duels blocks and recoveries is according to fotmob all in the top 10 percent for attacking midfielders so 
definitely got a lot going for him there. And he loves to ping a pass as well. He showed that in his first game. Some lovely crossfield balls there. But yeah, looking at his data from last season, of course, I've possession adjusted this because Forest Green didn't have too much of the ball. But in terms of offensive duels, i.e. taking on players, he's in the top 20%. And yeah, again, the long ball's top 10% for that. So looks like a great player. And in a more possession-based system, I think, yeah, he'll really shine. And he's done great so far. Something a bit different with Pert Harris since he's came in. I noticed that Bishop has been dropping a little bit deeper and acting a tiny bit like more of a traditional target man rather than, I don't know how you would describe him beforehand, if, you, if you're going to have to put a name on a roll, like a pressing forward. He's been dropping deep and then retaining the ball and then putting in a through ball to a Pert Harris who, who's going to run into the space instead of, I know Robertson did that a tiny bit as well, but he was usually more deeper and more technical to be able to ping a pass to the front three. But with Bishop dropping back and Pert Harris offering a different asset in terms of his dribbling and then being able to pass to a lane or a Lang who will come on to a minute. Do you think that makes Pompey's attack less one-dimensional? Because in some games, it's been fairly obvious who they've been trying to aim that to score the goals. Yeah, I, I tend to kind of refer to these things as the counterweight movements in that you have Bishop dropping off and then in response to that, you have the attacking midfielder. Sadie does it quite well, actually, but he doesn't really have the the end product at times, which is disappointing, but Pitt Harris will run beyond. And that's kind of where you get the difference of Alex Robertson in that Robertson, when he wants to receive the ball, the way he wants to receive it is in tight areas on the half turn where he can then drive out. And But that's not really Pert Harris. He wants to receive it quite square and then either combine with a player around him to then run beyond and receive, uh, kind of be on the back line or, or, or in the space between. But yeah, so yeah, so when they both drop deep, they both have kind of, that's Bishop and, and Pitt Harris. They both have kind of behaviours that uh, do other build-ups. They want to they want to receive their back to the play and kind of play out to the wide men. And as you say, to Lang and to Lane, to me, to me else, to me else. Um, unlike our, you know, our leaderboard, um, which is a lot of Ws. And then by doing that, you can get the the wingers in one v one situations against the fullback, which is what you really want. And we saw on uh, on Saturday against Northampton how devastating that can be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Northampton game was the epitome of a difference attacking performance by Pompey scoring different types of goals and looking a threat all across the front three and the striker rather than just having one focal point in and I think if Pompey could continue that much then they should stand in good stead for the rest of the season. One player that's definitely helped with the attacking output is uh, Callum Lang bought for an undisclosed three from Wigan Athletic. I mentioned in the previous main pod that I had a tiny bit of reservations about Lang, but that was around the time that Pompey missed out on Corey Blackett Taylor, and I was a bit emotional. So put put that caveat in there. I knew he was a very good utility player and can play in several positions and was very attacking and would work with Pompey's press an awful lot. So it was the fact that he was a fit in that way, but I was worried about his production beforehand. He's gone and gone and scored two goals his first two games with 0.6 expected. Jack, before we go on to Lang's attacking output, you mentioned beforehand in a Messino interview about the manager misprofiling him and being worried about it. Do you still have those worries now? Because Lang has mainly played on the right and a tiny bit in the middle against Southampton as well, with Piet Harris going to the wing and then swapping places with Lane as well. So it's been quite fluid. Have you liked the way that Lang has been used so far, even if it's just a few games? Yeah, I mean, I think in the past, I think some of Messina, I love John Messina, by the way. I shouldn't really have to preface this, but I feel like I kind of do. I love John Messina, but I think some of the way he's kind of appraised players as they came in, I don't really agree with. And my concern was he's just bought a player for just under 500 grand, if you believe the rumours, and he doesn't really understand what he's getting. That was my concern. Callum Lang, his best area is kind of that right half space, linking with a wide man, um, not being completely central not being all the way out wide, just being given that license to, look, you don't have to do loads and build up. You can get the ball in the final third when we're on the counter and you can just go and you can be yourself and you can show that kind of personality both with and without the ball. So that's what my concern was because Messina said he viewed him mainly as a left winger or a central player who could play on the right. And I went, okay, well, that's worrying because that either indicates he doesn't really understand what he's getting or he sees a different player that I, I didn't see at all. John Messina obviously much wiser than me, but for me, I don't see a left winger or a number 10 or a, or a striker at all. I see a really devastating right half space forward. And I think this kind of links in with um, Lee Carsley. This is a weird link, but it will make sense. Lee Carsley, the England 21 gaffer. He speaks about how 
positions are kind of dead. He doesn't really talk, he doesn't really like positions he likes. I think it's roles and responsibilities, and I, I call them zones of influence. Not to be confused with the recent film Zone of Interest by director Jonathan Glazer. That's a, that's a joke for me and, and Joff apparently. And and yeah, Callum Lang's zone of zone of influence is very much like right half space, and he's been employed both against Oxford and Northampton in that in that area. Against Oxford with Abu Kamara holding the width, and against Northampton with Paddy Lane holding the width, and he's been yeah absolutely devastating. He's been so so impressive, and I hope he continues in that thing. It looks at Callum Lang a little bit on the main pod, Joff, where it was mentioned that he was an aggressive wide player who will be able to go into space, battle for the ball when it's there to be won. Was that what was missing in before he came in in Pompey's January? Because obviously we needed depth on the wings with Kamara and Lane pretty much playing every single game and then getting knackered. And then Scully and White coming in and not very do, not doing an awful much. Was, was it the aggression off the ball that Pompey were missing or was it something else? Yeah, I think that definitely was missed but I think well in terms of Lane and Kamara you said they're knackered and they were for the segment we're going to do on the poor run of games I've kind of looked at what minutes players have played and how they've been shared and yeah they've played a heck of a lot but for Scully and White it's it's a confidence thing and for Lang getting that move away could have just been a fresh start for him new confidence and well he's definitely shown the kind of player he was a couple of seasons ago in League One for Wigan because he's already backed two goals and yeah, he looks great. And yeah, regardless of where I guess, you know, Sky Sports or Fort Mump will tell you he's playing, he is occupying that right half space, as Jack said. And for me, it doesn't really matter whether uh, he's playing right mid today or uh, he's playing as a 10 today. He will, he will drift into that space and say he starts on the right, Zach Swanson, maybe starting at right back, will overlap. And Lang will end up in the same space as he would if he's starting as a 10 with Paddy Lane out, outright or Kamara or someone. So he is, he's a talented player. He's, he's shown that already. And hopefully he can kind of stay fit. Don't want to jinx it, but there we go. Um, you can't can, jinx can, injuries this season, Joff. Of all uh, the seasons to jinx fitness, you've just done uh, it. Oh, we've all done it. It'll be all right. Yeah, and continue his good form. And I don't particularly care where he plays as long as he's kind of in that right half space being able to influence games then he'll be great for us he's also shown a lot of the technical ability with his goals hasn't he i mean the first goal against oxford to be able to run and collect the ball and have you back to goal and then be able to dribble past two defenders and then into the penalty area and find that corner took some exceptional talent and then in the northampton game yes the ball fell to him kindly from conor ogilvy's very good header had to get back across to him but he's able to take the ball out the air flush on the volley without skying it horribly like any of us three would do. Jack, do you see that technical ability adding to Callum Lang's goal tally for the rest of the season? Because obviously, I know it's two games, two goals, but the way he's doing, he could hit at least five and then possibly more, can't he? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say we'd all sky. I think we've all seen footage of Joff playing five-a-side and some of those flicks at the near post are beautiful. But but yeah, it's, as you say, I know it's maybe, he's not that far out for, for his goal against Northampton, but it's the the intelligence and how to peel away from his man at the uh, at the post and then just be in the right position to just smash it in and he hits it so well and yeah that goal against not uh, sorry it's Oxford is I know the defending's really poor but you've you've got to take advantage of that how many prom players in this squad at the moment would would fluff that up I'd say quite a few uh, and that's what you're buying and for me. I went into window saying we need to buy a game breaker slash cheat code player. And for me, that's someone who can, regardless of the game state or what's, what's going on on the pitch, is someone who go, no, this isn't going to happen here. We're not going to lose this. I'm going to take it, take the game by the scruff of the neck, by the scruff of the neck with directness, energy, that, oh, that sheer beautiful spellbinding technique and just go, this is my moment. It's about me. I'm going to pull us out of this. And, and that's Callum Lang. He's got every, he's got it in spades. He's that got that gold dust. Um, it's just magic to watch. I know football's a team game, but a lot of times, especially with teams that are chasing promotion from any division, they always have a player in every game when the team's struggling who has that little bit extra, who can do something brilliant in the moment, either to control a game as a whole or just that one strike in the 90th minute or something. Speaking of Pompey taking advantage of things, one thing they did take advantage of in January was a basket place of a cub that was Reading buying Tom McIntyre for £75,000, which looked to be a steal at the time. A young centre-half to play on the left-hand side, and also a player who could bring the ball out. 
We saw that for a very short while against Northampton, his brilliant positional play, but also his ability to actually intercept the ball as well. Ended up fracturing his ankle and is out for the season. Now, before we get on to Pompey's need, Jack, you profiled McIntyre before he signed, and you were quite positive about Pompey bringing him in. Why do you think Pompey brought him in in the first place, aside from the fact that the fee was very low? And was he the right fit for what the first team needed for the rest of the season? Uh, yes, he was the right fit uh, to what we needed. And in terms of why we brought him in, okay, he's not on Regan Paul's level in terms of, I don't think there's anything apart from aerially that he does better than Regan Paul. That's not that it is. And inside Regan Paul is a championship level defender. But they have got very similar profiles, both incredibly proactive. We saw it against, North, uh, yeah, against Northampton, always going to step up early and, and get involved in duels. Hits line breaking passes, good in the air, really good in the air. Actually, as I said, like freakishly good in the air. For I know six one's tall. I'm, I'm you know five ten, so I'm not going to complain about that. But he's really, really strong in the air from kind of the data I've got. And yeah, seventy five grand. Like he's not, he's not one of the best defenders in the division. I think it's misguided to say that. But what he is is cheap, fits what we need, and fits the type of player we needed to sign. So really, it checks out on all three bases. And and you could argue that by Buying a player as cheap as, as Tom McIntyre, you then free up budget for, I don't know, maybe like a really good midfield signing to replace an injured Joe Morrell that maybe we'll get to in the future. But yeah, really proactive, good in the ball, super aggressive. I think there are moments where that proactivity and that aggression, is, it, it can kind of be his downfall. I'm not actually alluding to the tackle here against, I can't remember who it was, Mitch Pinnock, I think it was, but more in that he can often get caught with runners in behind and kind of getting played around. But it's, you know, you're going to get that with, with that aggression. It's, you're never going to, you know, rule out errors. But I think it definitely has a net, net positive. For me, it's a bit like a Regan Paul light, but on the left-hand side. Yeah, it seemed like in that little glimpse that it was the sort of defender who could make a difference. But now we'll be going more to a defender that we've seen for so many years, years now. It looks like Sean Raggett is going to be back in the side with Connor Shortnessy alongside him. John Massino mentioned in the news some quotes about Sean Raggett. And basically, he said that Sean has played several times under him since he's been a manager of Pompey for a reason and has kept out other talented defenders, such as Deshaun Bernard, as the example. He added that all his defenders have the ability to control possession and cited previous three games against Port Vale, Fleetwood and Oxford, where Pompey did that relatively well. Goff, can you just dissect those quotes? Because obviously, this is going to be a talking point for a while. I think we all agreed that this season, Sean Raggers had a very positive season. Overall, played fairly well defensively solid as usual, can man-mark a player out of a game if needed. But there have been a few games where he has been so in possession. And when he's isolated against someone with amazing dribbling, he can get caught out a lot. Is it as big of a blow to lose Tom McIntyre and bring Sean Raggett in, as people are talking about? Or can Pompey ride it out? And as Massino said, can the whole team as a collective bring the ball out from the back properly, rather than just relying on those two players? Yeah, I think that last sentence you said, kind of the whole team bring the ball out properly from the back, will be reflective of what Massini will, will try and do. We've seen that Raggett isn't the best ball-playing defender. You know, he's had some moments where he's been able to turn players, do really well to keep possession, play some nice passes now and again, but he's not on the level of Paul, nor is he McIntyre. And the thing for me is, how does John Massini adapt in this situation? We saw on Saturday that we kind of looked like ourselves with Regan Paul in terms of structure and build-up with McIntyre back on the side. Yeah, Shotlancy was on the right, but he's right-footed and arguably on his more natural side. But with Raggett, I think there's a slight problem to solve with our build-up shape, and the way we could do that would be to go for... We've been building up in kind of like a 2-4-4-ish with Raggett, and I think, for me... Going to a three-two-five or a three-three-four in possession would work, with Marlon Pack dropping in as the kind of right right-sided centre back and kind of packing the midfield with Moxon. Moxon could also do that job, and then Part Harris and someone someone dropping in deep. And I think that would that would work well. You saw it with England in the Euros, where Declan Rice would drop in to the left centre back role, and we'd build up on a three. And I think something like that would work. Whether Messina tries it or not, who knows? But that would be the kind of first port of call as a solution to get the whole team playing out similarly to we did how how we did with Paul. 
Yeah, I'd like to say of Sean Ragger, first of all, you cannot keep a good man down. You simply cannot. He keeps on coming back. And I think I've been, yeah, just the air, air boxing that is quite amusing. Yeah, if we charge for this podcast, you could see this kind of thing, but we don't. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of respect for Sean Ragger. I think I've been critical of him, but not to an unfair level. I think he's amazing in the air. I think he's a really good leader. He's been an amazing servant, really professional. My concerns are his ground defending and with, as Joff said, and his kind of in build up. And I actually, I think he's been much better at it this season. I remember, I think it was against Bolton. Those bit, they were, he kept playing these line breaking passes to the right half space. It's like, who are you? What are you done with Sean Raggett? But I disagree with Messina saying how he did against Oxford. I actually disagree. I think our build up was quite weak against Oxford. It was really obvious how to press us. They had basically, whenever the ball would go to Raggett, if he was facing forward, they'd leave him. As soon as he turned either backwards or to his side, they'd press him like, and then they swore there, like all hell. And then what they'd do is Raggett would go either go back to, to Norris and Norris would go long because he had no other options, or he'd go to Shocknessy and then they'd just lock off the pitch and, and they'd do us that way. So I disagree with Messina's assertion there. And just adding on to Joff's point about the kind of the six dropping in, I also think Ben Stevenson can do that on the on the right-hand side of the kind of, of a back three, kind of dropping out of midfield. So that is another option. And yeah, it doesn't, I would love to see Ogilvy and Shocknessy partner in a back four, a centre-back person. I don't think it will happen, but I would be a fan of that. There are ways around Sean Raggett's deficiencies and build-up. I just, I, <laughs> I think Messina's been a bit kind there with saying how we did at Oxford away, because I personally, I, I, I disagree with that. Yeah, I think even with those problems, the defence seemed fine. I mean, I don't think there was much wrong with it when Sean Raggett came on against Northampton. I think they still were able to control possession relatively well. And yes, I know they conceded near the end, but that was a scream and you couldn't do anything about that, could you? It's weird because we've seen the body of work this season, but we've also seen the body of work as a whole in his, well, I've just looked it up, 225 appearances for Pompey. So so we know we know what the deficiencies are, but we know what the good points are. And it's just the senior has to like try and shape the back four in the right way where it's defensively solid, which it has been for most of the season, but also in a way which can support the midfield and the attackers in playing the way that the manager wants to play, which is playing it out. I mean, if, for example, if Sean Reagan went to another side that were more direct, perfectly fine. He'd be a perfectly ca- perfectly capable and good league one centre half in a direct side who could just head things away and clear it to man mark a, a striker. But Pompey want a little bit more than that. So I think that's where a lot of the concerns from the uh, the fans come from. So one player who will be asked to help out the defence and the attackers going forward is Aaron Moxon. He's brought in from Carlisle United uh, for an undisclosed fee as a box-to-box midfielder because he had six months left on his deal and said he wasn't going to sign a new one. He's only made a small cameo appearance against Northampton, but looks as if he could be playing more matches because of the Joe Morell injury. And he looks as if he could be a slightly more offensive, deeper midfielder to, compared to a Tom Lowry, who's been brilliant since he came back. I completely forgot. How, how much of an impact he can add to the side. Joff, on the Owen Moxon signing in general, to start with, before the injuries, it didn't look as if we needed another deeper centre midfielder. But with his attributes at both ends of the pitch, it looks as if he could add an awful lot to the side, can't he? Yeah, definitely. I was going through his stats on FOTMOB. And he, yeah, looks great. I know that Carlisle fans, Joe Stevenson, 96, really, really rated him. Um, as a player and a bloke and seems to be a good addition to the side um, but in terms of his stats really really good across the board there's kind of I'm just scrolling through him now and it's just lots and lots of green and this for context is in a pretty poor Carlisle side this season and if you go on the menu and switch to League 2 where they were a lot better just yeah incredible expected assists top top 10% accurate long balls top 10% successful dribbles Tackles one, duels one, interceptions, all of that. He looks to be the complete midfielder at that kind of League Two, League One level. And so it's a yeah, really shrewd move um, from Rich Hughes and the recruitment team. And unfortunately, yeah, Joe Morell's out for the rest of the season and he looks to be a perfect replacement. And he's significantly taller as well, so he can put out a pretty big midfield, which will help against some of the more physical teams. You know, Pack isn't small. Moxon's big, Hart Harris. I was going to call him Hart Paris then. Maybe that works. Is also a big, strong boy. So he looks like to be a great signing. Jack, it looks as if Moxon will end up replacing Morel, 
not just because of the injury, but because Marlon Pack is having a proper League One Perlo swan song at the moment. And it was obvious that Morel helps at both ends of the pitch, even though his creative output isn't as good, but what's the point? He links absolutely everything. What technical abilities does Owen Moxon have to be able to do that? Because that's the role that ultimately Bussinho would be asking him to do. Yeah, I actually think Perlo is actually quite a good comparison because around Perlo you had those kind of those ball winners who could also play a bit, and, and that's very much right. Moxon, he's fantastic against ball. I've, for me, and this is maybe a term that isn't most isn't that common in in kind of the English vernacular when it comes to all, but he's kind of a double six, which is in that double pivot you have the pivot player, which is Marlon Pack, who's super deep, kind of the play pivots around him. And then you have the double six who, if you play football manager, a bit of a Segunda Valente type player who kind of burst beyond, carry the ball out, um, but also play a bit. And and yeah, Owen Moxon's physique is, is really what wins him the bonus points. I'm not flat with him, I do promise that there is context to this. Kind of, he's got really long legs, he's got big strides, um, can get around the pitch well, but also when he opens his body up, he's got a lot of power and can really um, can really push the ball out. And, the difference is between you know some more diminutive midfielders. I'm actually I'm not going to Tom Larry there. That might seem like I am, but you might have players really good at carrying space, but when he gets pressured, he can't really hold up to it. But but Owen Moxon definitely can. He's, he's a big, big meaty boy, big strong meaty boy. Yeah, technically, really really good, really good passing range. Not just in the execution, but in his willingness to do it. It's kind of I, I think the execution can do a little bit more work in terms of getting that consistency. But I think when you go for those kind of those Hollywood high value high value passes they're never going to come off every time and, and yeah and that's okay and and yeah I think he provides a really good foil to Marlon Pack I don't think you could combine him and Morel because I think they're a bit too similar in terms of the way they play but I think Pack and one of Morel Moxon Lowry at League One level is yeah it's a really really good double pivot and a lot to like there I don't think I'd see him as a as a lone six I saw someone say I could you know I could do a job as a kind of the Marlon Pack role and I don't see that at all for the small reason of he doesn't open his body up enough when he receives to his left. So he's really good at receiving on his right, but when he receives, when he should be receiving on his left, he kind of turns square and kind of goes back to where he came from. And that's such a small little thing that can be corrected. And it's those kind of those nuances and those micro details that can kind of uh, make or break a six. And long-term, yeah, Moxon can be that right now. Kind of the morale role fits in perfectly. Can he step up to the championship? Because he's already had to make a big step already, League 2 to League 1. And yes, we've noticed he's played in the side that's in the relegation zone at the moment and has been under the cosh in several games and won't have the luxuries of playing for Portsmouth in terms of possession and chances and so on. But does he have the raw skill set to be able to play in the Championship? Because it's a long-term deal he's signed here. I think he does. I remember watching the League 2 playoff semis last year and he was a standout player in those from what I can remember. And if you look at his football, but provide this kind of nice radar graph, player traits, and it's six kind of traits compared to other midfielders. And he looks, yeah, really, really good in that 89, 89th percentile for defensive actions, 93rd for aerial duels, 84 for chances created, 78 for touches, 88 for shot attempts, and then his worst one, 65 for goals. But that doesn't really matter, I don't think. And so, just based on the data, I think he could make the step up. Yeah, I think one thing I've been crying out for kind of since the summer, maybe even before that, was a ball-winning midfielder who can also progress play. So kind of when I were at Mark about Omox, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I've got some data here, but I'd, I'd like to see kind of a grid that kind of reference progressive action. So that penalty stats, for me, I combined progressive passes and progressive runs. It's not the most in-depth statistic, but that wasn't really the point of the, uh, the investigation. And defensive draws per 90. Uh, Owen Moxon comes out as the, the top midfielder in League One for defensive draws per 90 and kind of in the kind of the bottom of the top third for progressive actions. So you've got a midfielder there who can break up play, but isn't one dimensional. Like you might have some midfielders that break up and give it to you know, a Marlon Pack straight away, but, but Moxon doesn't have to do that. I mean, he can play it back to Marlon Pack, but he was also, he's got the ability to progress play on his own, which I think is. It's such a lovely quality because you don't want a ball in midfielder who can't progress play and you don't want a progressive midfielder who kind of is pedestrian against the ball. Well, well, the Blues fans are hoping that all these new players who have come in who will be playing for the rest of the season will have the qualities to get this side promoted. But some fans, their confidence waned a bit because of one thing which you're going to move on next. 
the dreaded Christmas blip. Ooh, he's still scared about it now, obviously. He's still scared of the blip and all the narrative. Yeah, Pompey hit a bad patch of form in December to January. They threw away a seven-point cushion. But from the, st- from the results I'm going to read out now, in hindsight, it doesn't seem like the biggest thing in the world. I'm going to read out the results now. So it pretty much started from the one one all home draw to Fleetwood, which was terrible. Then the 2-1 defeat away to Bristol Rovers and a 0-0 draw away at Exeter City. Not brilliant to any of those games. Then the Blues go back and beat Stevenage 2-1, which is a very good result at home. Then the 2-1 loss to Cheltenham, which I'm still annoyed about. And then the absolute 3-0 dubbing against Leighton Orient, where no one had a good game at all. But then they've bounced back with back-to-back wins, back-to-back 1-0 away wins against Fleetwood and Port Vale, and then the 2 all draw to Oxford, and obviously the 4-1 victory over Northampton just now. And looking at the table as things stand, as of the 8th of February, Pompey has 63 points from 31 games, four points ahead of Derby, who have a game in hand, Bolton a third with 58 points, and yes, they've got three games in hand, but they've also dropped points previously on occasion, and look as if they're going to pretty much be playing Saturday, Tuesday for the entire rest of the season due to matches being postponed. Jack, I'm going to start with you. So what caused the blip? And were those worries heightened at the time because of the fact that Pompey had a bigger cushion at the top of the table, which they just threw away? Yeah, I know. We kind of discussed what we're going to talk about about this uh, kind of ahead of time. I'm not going to steal your point, Geoff. Don't worry, I'll leave you that. I think I think the reason people got their backs up about it, including myself, by the way, I think I was more level-headed than most, but deep down inside, I was terrified. I was, about I was the panicking. Blip. I was terrified um, about the blip and the fact that two of the live games I watched, we lost both of them. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's just because we've been burnt so many times by these kind of these December periods, December periods, Christmas periods, where we just absolutely fall off a cliff and it does happen too much. I would much prefer if we kind of spread these losses out during the uh, during the campaign but I don't think that's what we're going to do and I think when you kind of I haven't got the data about this up but I think I'm right in it so first of all at the moment as things stand we're second for points per game in the league we're on course for something like a 96 point season finishing second behind I believe Bolton which is great absolutely amazing I also think that because we did so well at the beginning of the season and we as we've touched on this podcast many times now we were winning in an arguably unsustainable manner I think it was we were kind of bound to go through this but I think we even said it I think we even said on here that we're going to this is going to happen so I think if you if you spread those losses out across the across the campaign I don't think anyone's that bothered but I think because they all came at such a, a scary moment in that we've done this year and year and year people including myself and you Fred and I'm sure you Josh you, you panicked one specific reason that I kind of I've not had loads of time to kind of back up that data or anything like that but I think so in terms of pressing, what elite teams want to do, if you press from if you press opposition goal kicks with the front three, normally you'll have your left winger on their on their right centre back, your nine on the goalkeeper, sorry, your nine on their right on their left centre back, and your right winger on their left back. Yeah, get my orientation right. And what that means obviously is the right back's free. So what most elite teams, including Pompey at times, do is they what's known as backing up the press with the fullback. So you'll have your fullback go all the way forward to kind of lock off the fullback and, and be super, the opposition fullback and be super aggressive. And Pompey do this as well quite often, I believe. Unfortunately, what this naturally means is more running. You're putting more weight through, uh, you're putting more load through your hamstrings, through other areas. I'm not a biomechanics expert, but you're going to have more sprints, you have more distance covered. And because Ogilvy and Swanson were injured for so long, it meant that Pompey were just running their fullbacks into the ground time and time again. And naturally, that leads to fatigue. And fatigue has been a huge part of the blip, the, the scary blip from the, the 80s sci-fi movie. So I think that is, there is an issue tactically that then feeds into the physical side of things. It's a very, it's not like, oh, okay, well, you can point to this and that's the sole reason. It's always a kind of a holistic approach. So I think by the way we press and by the lack of depth of fullback at the time, something that had occurred, I think this was, this was coming because it, I think it started in November. And I think if you, if you can rotate your fullbacks consistently in November, this doesn't happen. It doesn't happen because Rafferty and Spark get rested. Swanson and Ogilvy get the right amount of load into their legs. You're laughing. Happy days. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. So everyone got burnt out and very tired. That you can't, I know Danny Cowley had that famous saying of 
if a lion jumped out of a bush and started chasing you, start running. It's, it's his whole point was it's a mindset thing. I don't think it's as simple as that. I think your body can only do so much, and and it kind of it caught up on us a little bit. Maybe that's why all those players got those hamstring injuries. Maybe he was telling yeah, you, oh, lions. you got lions <laughs> chasing you, but then ignored the fact that they did sprints for seven days in a row previously. Obviously, that's a bit of exaggeration there. But anyway, uh, Joff, the blip. Have you got anything to add about the blip and why it happened? And if it was overblown looking at the results we have now? Yeah, in terms of the results and kind of XG performance, we... So I've kind of charted this from the Fleetwood game. So one before you, Fred. So the draw with Fleetwood on the 23rd of December to the loss at Leighton Orient. And yeah, we won on XG for four of the, those six games and then lost for the other two. That was You do realise that Pompey Dar is going to be fuming that you said that. I can care less, mate. So we... Ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, expected goals, friends. Yeah, we we were playing fine, and that's kind of on average the rest of our season. However, looking at possession, we had more of the ball, but our kind of average expected goals over those six games was 20% less. And I think, as Jack pointed out, we were knackered and we could just do less with it. We actually pressed ever so slightly more, but it is a small sample size. So, and, you know, we're playing against different teams and there are some pretty big outliers in there. Um, the Cheltenham game was our most intense pressing game of the season. So that's obviously going to skew the data there. But yeah, we were knackered and I kind of tracked the minutes, looked at which players played where and how long for, and we had six of our players play in all of those games for the full 90 minutes. So that was Norris, and then three of the back four. So Rafferty, Shocknessy, Raggett, and then Pack, and then Bishop. And then putting it into kind of our most consistent starting 11, we had uh, Morel, Kamara, Sparks, Lane, and Robertson. And those players combined played 90% of the minutes then. And that is a lot for Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, well, Monday, Friday, whatever, because it was over Christmas. And then the remaining eight players, the minutes weren't shared massively. Gavin White essentially came in as a replacement for Robertson when he got injured, which might even skew that even further. But yeah, we, and then we had the game against Leighton Orient where we made a bunch of subs at half time. So yeah, we were just overloaded and couldn't keep it up. If we had more depth or if Messina kind of gambled a bit more, I know he gambled in the extra game, I think played a three behind Bishop of Lane. Who is it? Devlin We're not and Sadie? You. We're not helping. Yeah, well done. Something like that. Yeah, it wasn't great. And Robertson was in a deeper role. And yeah, those three couldn't gel. And then I think that lost the trust in players that he could rotate with. Yengi was still around then. Barely played. Got 24 minutes out of a potential three games. So that's 270 minutes. It's not great. And we were just knackered. And I think that was it. And we might have been trying harder because we were under, under pressure. Hence kind of our pressing numbers being greater but at the end of the day the squad wasn't used and results came but fortunately we've picked up well what looks to be a bit of consistency and can keep that going with our signings i think just kind of linking back to what you've just said there about kind of how we rotated and what i was saying about how kind of not rotating the fullbacks in like october november has bit us in the arse in december i think it links back to the rotation of forward areas bringing in people like white and other people is not the issue here the issue is they're coming in completely cold because we didn't rotate our wingers and our forwards back in november late october so it has that knock-on effect of all right yeah okay we're doing the right thing and rotating and during a busy period but these players are not ready to play football nowhere near ready to play football even off the bench they look leggy so when you bring in gavin white who i think we've we've discussed kind of at length and i don't want to kind of it's not a pile on, but you get my point. I don't there are several. Uh, there are several similar players who fall under a similar bracket. I mean, Towler, centre back, centre back as well. Even Devlin, to an extent, when he was mm-hmm. asked to play all the different positions. I mean, the performances weren't consistent. He had games in the second field where he wasn't brilliant before the injury. Yeah, and then you know, I don't want to say understandably so because that sounds like I'm kind of approving it. But when they come in cold in a really important period against teams that smell blood and don't perform and then they get shit on social media which I'm not going to say I approve of it 
but I, I do kind of understand it. I understand the criticism. I don't understand the abuse, but the criticism I do get, it's just kind of a vicious circle. And it comes back to that thing of if you don't rotate early and then those kind of before the busy periods, it's going to catch up to you later on. And I think Messina will learn from it. I don't want to make out that, you know, Messina is some bumbling idiot who doesn't understand football. He does. I just think we didn't rotate enough because we were in a great run of form. And as soon as he'd bring out, if Cambridge away for me is a perfect example, rotate the fullbacks. I think we possibly rotated some wingers into forward options as well, potentially. And they perform and they're back out. And I don't love the check. In fact, I quite dislike the EFL trophy. But what it does provide, an opportunity for those bench players to get minutes and to get football under their belt. And there's no cups. There's no other fixtures now. This is it. So can these players step up from out of the cold to rotate into the first team? I'm, I, I don't think I don't think many of them will. Towler did to his credit, but I think I'm slightly nervous if we hit this period again where players have to come back in. Just to jump on from that as well, I think I find it weird to kind of praise Kenny Jacket here, but it was something that he did relatively well with fullbacks, with like James Bolton, Ross McCrory, Lee Brown and Seddon. And he gave them essentially equal minutes when I first started out kind of doing analysis of Pompey during lockdown and stuff. It's like, okay, he, you know, some performances were less. And I mean, you know, dropping Curtis and Lowe for a playoff semi, they were knackered, but it was probably necessary. And that was just management in the season and the game before kind of leading up to it. But throughout the season, he rotated relatively well. Obviously, we didn't finish in automatics, but it was something that he did get right. But the performances weren't there with the rotated players, but he was he was good at it. And I think that's one thing that potentially Messina will just grow into. You know, we forget that this is, he's been a manager for just over a year now. It's not going to be perfect from the start. It's been great. He's done really well. Uh, the recruitment team's been great, Rich Hughes and all that. But at the end of the day, he is still going to make mistakes. And I think this kind of lack of rotation or lack of trust has been one of them. Yeah, I think it will help in the run in the fact that Pompey got a lot more depth now with the January signings. And we've also players that have been out on long-term injuries coming back. I mean, we always compare injuries and say, oh, it's always our club that has the worst hit of injuries. But Pompey have had, including Josh Dockrell, six season-ending injuries. I can't remember the last time any club has had six season-ending injuries. There is some positive injury news, though, from Jordan Cross reported this week that Zach Swanson is returning to training this week after two months out with a groin injury. Only made 14 appearances this season. Some appearances he came in and was very good, particularly Derby away. That was my personal favourite one. John Bassino said, Zach's hardly featured this season, but when he has, it feels like 90% of the time he's been our best player. Jack, I know you like Zach Swanson, so I'm going to bring you in here. That's a massive bit of news if Zach Swanson can say, if he's back in training this week, let's say in a fortnight he's fit to start a right back. That surely might be an area of rotation, considering that, Joe Rafferty has had to have been overloaded at this point. Yeah, I think there's a few points I'm going to touch on here because I'm a huge fan of Zach Swanson. He's possibly my favourite Pompey player. I just, I love him. I think he's brilliant. Um, so for a start, I think, so if you put on, if you put Rafferty's like upper limit of performance versus Swanson's upper limit of performance, I think Swanson on his day is better than Rafferty. I think Rafferty's more consistent, but I think it might come of age. I think, if you have Lang at right wing and Swanson at right back, as Joff touched on earlier, you get the best out of both players there. You have Swanson drums in the byline holding the whip and you have, yeah, you have Lang influencing the half space. Again, as you say, fitness wise, I think Ogilvy and Swanson and Sparks and Rafferty are our best fullback partnerships. I think if you can get minutes into all of them, maybe, you know, taking notes from old KJ himself, the Jackasaurus Rex. Rotating those fullbacks, getting the minutes spread out, I think it minimises the risk of injury, and it also makes sure the players that if they do come in, they're going to be. They're going to be I was going to say warm there, but that sounds weird. They're going to be not cold. The only detraction I'd say is that Pompey like these almost hybrid fullbacks, and that they need to be able to sit in the back three in possession, but also get to the byline or at least you know service a box of crosses. I think Joe Rafferty does that to a much better level than Zach Swanson. I don't think Swanson's there yet. I think Swanson's a really good one v one defender. And I think he's really good against the byline, but in the kind of the in between moments, I don't think he's quite there. But again, that will come with age and experience. I wouldn't chuck him in to start right away as much as I love him. But I think if you can get him minutes off the bench, that'd be huge. And then gradually build him up to a full 90, similar to what we did with Tom Lowry. Although I wouldn't 
rush. I think we've kind of had to start Tom Lowry a lot because of the limited options. Whereas I don't think that necessity is there with, with Swanson at the moment. So I'd say get him back up to speed. So because especially that groin injury, you don't want him to, I think it's his groin anyway. You don't want him to kind of redo that, you know, whipping a ball in or whatever because he's started for the first time in like 10 years. Be yeah, a huge fan of Zach Swanson. I think on his day, a better, better player than, than Joe Rafferty. And I've not seen a Portsmouth player be able to lock up not one, but two genuinely top tier talents in Hyunbin Son and Ryan Sessignon, like Zach Swanson did at Spurs away. That is the level. I think he's, yeah, I think he's superb. Yeah, it's been, yeah, a real shame that we've had two of our really good fullbacks out for such a time. And we've got Ogilvy back now, which, yeah, provides a good rotation option with Sparks. But, you know, all of the top teams will manage the minutes of their fullbacks and centre midfielders to an extent because they are some of the most demanding fitness wise positions, wingers as well. You, and you see Man City do it all the time. And, you know, in that Champions League, uh, that season where they lost the Champions League final but stormed the Prem, they had Zinchenko and Cancelo from left back and then Ulrico Lewis and then Walker and Cancelo right back. And there's a lot of swapping in around. And Stones played right back a bit as well. But, you know, you see top teams do it all the time. And if we've got four fit fullbacks, that's, that's massive for us. It's a shame that Terry Devlin's injured. He made a couple of mistakes against Oxford for the two goals. Well, no, the first goal. He made a mis- yeah, one mistake for the first goal, but he yeah provided fine cover there. Paddy Lane's covered at fullback as well in a pinch, and you know we've moved to a three when we've had a surplus of centre backs and not fullbacks, and that worked fine against against Fleetwood, I think it was. But at the end of the day, we want the fullbacks for their rotation and. Both that we can, yeah, mix and match. You know, if we need, if we know we're going to be kind of backs against the wall, playing Bolton or Blackpool or someone, we can start with Ogilvy and Rafferty. But if we know we're going to have loads of the ball and go, go mental, we can start Sparks and Swanson, and those options are great. Yeah, and another player who might be coming back soon for a bit of rotation is Tino Andrian. Jacinio reported two days ago that he's two weeks away from training. So let's say it's two weeks and then maybe another two weeks, let's say a month, he'll be back in March time. And Messino stressed the fact that he wanted a staggered return for Andrian, similar to the last injury he suffered. Jack, where do you see Andrian playing a part in this side? Because he said he's very similar to Pitt Harris, so I don't see him starting on a wing a lot or replacing him in the middle. But he's definitely, at the very least, would be a very good impact player from the bench with, with the run-in coming up. Yeah, as you say, and we kind of touched on it earlier there, not, you know, exactly alike profiles but they're they're similar enough where you, I don't think you could play them together and they both want to play in the left half space and you can't they're just getting on each other's toes they're, they're two similar players but it's such a luxury to have both of them like let's say Pitt Harris is playing really well but gets tired and he's come off you, you've got Tino Andrew who's got similar to Callum Lang who he's just got that it factor he's got that bit of stardust and that goal against Reading is one of the most underrated finishes I've seen the Pompey player score in a while. It's just, he takes it so well. And I think potentially you could see Tino Andrew from the left wing, providing Jack Sparks plays at left back. I'm going to go back to Reading away. I thought we played, it was, it was almost like a three, a three box three, to be honest. You had kind of similar to how Barcelona played it a few years ago. And you had the left winger come super narrow inside, which was Tino Andrew. And then you had Jack Sparks. Uh, hold the hold the whip for, uh, left back gets super high I think that could work definitely uh, yeah I, so I think left wing might actually be Tino's best bet with but it has to be Sparks at left back I don't see it working with Ogilvy at left back Tino Andrew future left winger for for a few games who knows and finally Joff to round up this episode one last question obviously Pompey have looked better with the squad of players that are coming in in January and in the Northampton game as well do you see Pompey keeping going with this run of form or do you think more blips will happen? I personally think the depth has helped massively now, even with the January and players coming back. I think it would take an even more rotten bit of luck, injury luck for Pompey to drop off a cliff at this point. I'm not saying not getting promoted might not happen, but I don't see them just capitulating anyway. Well, it wouldn't capitulate if we had a dome, would it? No, joking aside. <laughs> for God's um... sake. That, 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 that was a period of football, so, uh, Pompey social media, wasn't it? Good God. Bring on the um, dome! Bring on the dome! In all fairness, it would be very handy if we had a facility like that 
But looking at the fixtures, we have two Tuesday games and then the Easter weekend and then everything else is Saturdays, so a week away. And that is going to be massive for us. We're out of all the cups. Yeah, it'd be lovely to have a cup run. No, another Wembley trip to for the Bristol Street Motors trophy final. That'd be great. But we have that a focused that competition is still a stain on the game. And that is a hill I'm dying on. Fair enough. But we've got a good run of fixtures in terms of manageability and players not getting overloaded. We spoke about how we can change our build-up with Raggett looking set to play the rest of the season. If we sort that out and, yeah, providing we stay fit, I think we'll be fine. Two Tuesday games, the Easter weekend, the rest of it is Saturdays. Great. There's a tricky run of fixtures leading into the Easter weekend. Got Blackpool, Peterborough, Barnsley, and then Derby on Good Monday, or whatever it's called. And... That'll be tough, but if we can, you know, that's basically when Andrew will be fit and Swanson will be fit again. So hopefully we'll be fully fit and firing and we can, yeah, continue picking up wins. Fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed. And uh, let's hope that it happens at Brunham Park against Carlisle. This podcast was recorded on the Thursday before that match. So fingers crossed we get another decent away win far up north and that the Blues keep going as they are. But thank you very much for coming on the show, Joff. It was a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me again. Up the blues. And thanks for appearing on the show as well, Joe. Cheers, mate. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Fingers crossed that you guys keep liking the extra episodes. We'll keep doing them as long as people keep listening to them. So give us any feedback on social media and uh, we'll look at the numbers as well. So that's all we've got time for. And until next time, play up Pompey. Pompey.